Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. We have a topic that's very close to my heart and I believe that should be very close to the hearts of all God's people. We're talking about the pro-life movement and what's ahead for the pro-life movement. And in a word, I'll tell you what I'm gonna be talking about this broadcast and the next episode as well can be summarized in one word, challenges. Now, I'm late and I apologize. I'm recording this in February of 2022. I wanted to get this broadcast done by January 22nd, 2022, uh, due to the coronavirus and some surprises. I'm late, but one of the advantages of being late is I saw a number of reports about the March for Life great event, uh, the 49th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, and of course, with the upcoming Supreme Court decision, probably in June of this year, it said the pro-life movement was very enthusiastic and hopeful, and the pro-life movement should be both of those things. Yet, at the same time, we don't want to let down our guard and forget that there are still significant challenges ahead even if Roe Wade is reversed. And in fact, next episode, you're gonna see there's actually one challenge ahead that's probably the greatest challenge the pro-life movement has faced. And you can think, what's that? Well, hang on, let's get back to where we are today. And we've gone for 49 years since January 22nd, 1973, when the Supreme Court made a decision that required uh, the legalization of abortion and that resulted in overturning pro-life laws in 46 states. And the National Right to Life Committee reports like what's happened since then, 1973. Well, this utterly corrupt judicial decision resulted in, listen to this, 63 million 459,781 deaths of babies, 63.4 million, million babies. And I don't know if you recognize, but that the shedding of innocent blood brings the sin of blood guilt on a nation. Now you're saying, well, I've never had an abortion. Well, if you're living in America, I'm sorry. There's a corporate nature to families. There's a corporate nature to communities. And there's a corporate aspect to nations themselves. And the sin of blood guilt is over our nation with 63.4 million abortions since that Roe Wade decision. George Mason, who was a delegate to the Constitutional Convention in 1787, said this, as nations cannot be rewarded or punished in the next world, they must be in this. 
by an inevitable chain of causes and effects, providence punishes national sins by national calamities. Now, I realize a lot of people don't even want to think about this, but we live in the nuclear age, and people say, well, that's all over with. You know, nobody's used the bomb since the end of World War II. Well, we've had, since the end of World War II, I'm just saying just since 1973, 63 million abortions. That's blood guilt on our entire nation. And we should take that with just the most incredible seriousness you could. You know, I've been reading parts of the Old Testament and listening to it, and God had sent prophets to Israel to try to wake them up to their condition. God doesn't want to bring judgment on our nation, nor did he want to in Old Testament Israel. Yet, the people in the Old Testament says, well, you know, we're God's people, and they were God's people. God had given us special blessings, and he had, and yet they had turned their backs on him, but yet they still thought they were safe from any negative consequences of engaging in bloodshed, idolatry, and rampant sins. And here's a passage and I could cite you a dozen like this, but a passage from the Old Testament, from 2 Kings chapter 21. And God is trying to wake his people up to what their situation is. He says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such evil that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Now, the Jewish people living in Jerusalem thought, God would never bring judgment on Jerusalem. Jerusalem, we're the center of God's holy land. I mean, what could possibly happen here? And this is what God says. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will cast off the remnant of my heritage, and give them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey to all their enemies, because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even unto this day. Moreover, Manasseh, the king, shed very much innocent blood, till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides the sin in which he made Judah to sin, so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, the United States has outdone the wicked king Manasseh through the legalized killing of 63.4 million babies. And this puts our country into a precarious state of affairs. And I would dare say most of us, and even those who would say, I'm a Christian, I'm pro-life, are we aware what could happen to our nation, to our families, to our communities as a result of shedding innocent blood? And again, there's a corporate responsibility for this. Right after the flood, 
God said to Noah in Genesis 9, for your lifeblood I will surely require a reckoning. Of every man's brother I will require the life of man. And whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Now, again, we have, and I'm not saying the nuclear weapons will be an instrument of judgment. It just could be one, because worldwide, there's an estimate that between 1921 and 2015, the bulk of the 20th century, and then some a little bit, there have been approximately one billion abortions worldwide. And yet God could hear the shedding of one person's blood spilled, one innocent life. And you can imagine a billion. And those little babies' blood is crying out to heaven for judgment. So this is the situation our country is in, and we need to take it very seriously. Now, here's some of the challenges that's ahead for the pro-life movement and some of the challenges we're even going to face this year. I'll start with the judicial challenges. And I'm not saying, I'm not predicting what's going to be announced in June. I just want you to be aware that there have been some very profound judicial disappointments. In other words, we thought we had things in the bag, so to speak, and I'm speaking particularly back in the days of the Casey decision. Uh, I was involved in a statewide pro-life organization at the time, and I, along with other pro-life organizations in Florida, received a very quiet back-channel uh, briefing from the White House that came from a man named Sununu, who was the chief of staff for the elder President Bush, saying there is a man named David Souter, a judge, and he's going to be nominated to the Supreme Court, and he's one of us. Support him. And so the entire pro-life movement in the United States, to my knowledge, all the leaders, every single one except a man named Howard Phillips, went with David Souter, who turned out to be a turncoat in the Casey decision and has kept abortion legal to this day. And that sole pro-life leader who publicly testified against Souter was Howard Phillips. And he was vilified by conservatives and the pro-life movement, and he was absolutely right. Uh, I didn't follow Howard Phillips' advice, but I did write him after the Casey decision, and I said, I heard what you said. I didn't believe it because, my, 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 I had a back-channel communication from the White House chief of staff that he was our guy. So there are disappointments that come. And I don't know if you remember, but it was a Supreme Court controlled by Republican-nominated justices that that produced the Roe versus Wade decision. So we need to be very 
cautious that, yes, Roe might be overturned, but if it isn't, I'm just saying if there's a judicial disappointment, then we don't stop. We don't stop our pro-life efforts if the judges let us down, okay? Now, let's take the positive side of things and say, yes, uh, there will be a significant total, partial, we don't know, uh, reversal of Roe versus Wade. And what Roe versus Wade did was put a steamroller over state laws. And if Roe is reversed all in part, then things are going to be flipped back to the individual states. And so the abortion question doesn't fade away. In many cases, it's intensified as it's returned to the states. And in a certain sense, this is good because there is a very real responsibility for what happens in our communities, our state, and our nation. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says if a person was found, uh, somebody killed him and open ground, the elders from the two cities would have to measure the distance from their city to where that man was killed. And the city who was closest to the man, and they don't know who killed him, they would take responsibility for it, have a sacrifice, and ask God's forgiveness, or else the sin of shedding innocent blood would have fallen on that city. So we need to take the state challenges very seriously. So right off the bat, there's a need to support statewide pro-life organizations. And I don't know if you know my background, but that's exactly what I did before launching the Family Life Center. And one of the things you face in a statewide pro-life effort is that Unlike maybe some national organizations, you don't have a big fundraising staff. Uh, you might not have the funds to send out, you know, four-color brochures. You can't have a big presence in media and this type of thing. But what you're doing is absolutely vital. So um, there's no million-dollar salaries and statewide pro-life leaders, but this is where you have to put your effort. Here in South Carolina, to me, is kind of a a perfect example of what a very committed statewide organization can do. The organization is called the South Carolina Citizens for Life, and really at the heart of this organization is a two-women army, uh, Lisa Van Riper and Holly Gatling, Holly lives in Columbia, Lisa uh, here in the Greenville area, and in conjunction with other churches, Catholic, Baptist, and whatever here in South Carolina, they have just done a fantastic job. I'm looking at a graph. I wish you could see it, and you could actually see this if you go just Google South Carolina Citizens for Life, and it shows what happens when they get going in 1988 they passed their first piece of legislation. And since 88, they have passed 14 legislative acts here in South Carolina. 
Uh, they didn't, but they influenced legislators to do so. And we're a conservative state, so even the Republicans who are conservative in name only, can we can apply a little pressure to them, at least around here. But as a result of their efforts over the past decades, they have seen a decline of 61% in the number of abortions in South Carolina. And you add that up since Roe Wade, and there's been over 200,000 babies saved as a result of this decline. And organizations like the South Carolina Citizens for Life, and again, these are very shoestring type organizations. They really are going to need our support. So just as a practical application, uh, whatever, find out what is the uh, effective statewide pro-life organization in your state where you're hearing my voice and send them either a 50 or a $100 check and do that once or twice a year, okay? This is just something we have to do. And in anticipation of the Supreme Court decision in June, it's just that much more important. We start giving them the finances. I'm talking about modest finances they need for the great, great work they are doing. Okay. And then secondly, I want to urge your support of the most overlooked pro-life promoter in the United States, period, bar none. Okay. And what would that be? And that's your local, and I repeat, local Catholic radio station. And again, the national networks and everything else, they have staffs and, you know, a lot of fundraising efforts and this and that. But if the pro-life question is going to be returned to the states, then you need local Christian radio stations, local Catholic radio stations to be that key component of getting the message out. And again, I'll tell you my experience here in South Carolina, uh, Catholic radio in South Carolina, uh, I have approached multiple times asking for we doing something for pro-life and 100% of the time they're willing to do anything they can do to help the pro-life movement. Now, uh, I told you I was doing statewide pro-life work in Florida before starting the Family Life Center. And just weeks before launching the Family Life Center, I spent a year organizing a life chain throughout the state of Florida. This was a, a, a year-long project. And basically operating in my garage and having the budget of a lemonade stand and hiring my children for employees uh, we were able to organize 157,000 pro-lifers for one hour throughout the state of Florida. That was 290 miles of pro-lifers taking a public stand in Florida, representing 2,225 different Christian congregations. And to my knowledge, this was the largest statewide pro-life event since Roe versus Wade. 
There's been larger national ones, but again, we're going back to the states. That's what's if if we have a positive outcome in June, this is what's going to happen. So, how in the world did we get 150,000 people to line the highways of Florida for one hour? Well, it wasn't too complicated. We hooked up 48 Christian radio stations throughout the state by satellite, and presto, we were able to bypass all the hostile secular media. We took the pro-life challenge directly to Christians, and guess what? They responded. And before, or right as I was becoming a Catholic, I experienced this, so I knew that Catholic radio was gonna be key in the pro-life movement ahead. And so I'm speaking to you today over Catholic radio, and just like your statewide pro-life organization, your local Catholic radio station, if you're a Protestant listening, your local Christian station, send them a check for 50 or $100 twice a year at least. They deserve your support and they're critical for getting the word out. And in my experience, you can have absolutely phenomenal success. We had 290 miles of Christians taking a public stand for pro-life as a result of radio. So don't overlook it, okay? Now, we got other challenges uh, ahead, but before we leave to go off into other challenges, uh, I wanna leave you with a message of hope because I have thought actually long and hard, and at times I can't even bear the thought because I know that in the Trinity, we have God the Father, okay? And I'm a father, and I have uh, emotions and drives and reactions uh, when my children are threatened by something or someone, okay? And I believe that is just a tiny, tiny, tiny little fraction of what God the Father feels when each one of the 63 million children murdered by abortion in America are killed, each one, intensely. I would dare say it's a million times what I would ever feel when something has endangered one of my kids, okay? Because he's God the Father. And when you think about how the blood guilt comes on a land, and I have thought about this, and at times I can't even think about it because honestly, I can't even begin to tell you what I would do if these 63 million babies were my children. And God isn't any different, it's just intensified. Okay, having said all this, it can be kinda hard to think about this. And yet I wanna leave you with a message of hope, okay? Of hope of forgiveness. And if it wasn't for what I'm about to say, I would probably dig a hole and just jump in it head first. But I wanna tell you about the city of Nineveh. In the Old Testament, the book of the prophet Nahum is an oracle about Nineveh. The whole, it's a short prophetic book in the Old Testament, and it begins with, woe 
to the bloody city. God does not take shedding innocent blood lightly. And there's another story, true story, true account about Nineveh in the Old Testament, and that's Jonah. Now, a lot of people get stuck on the fact that, you know, Jonah was swallowed by a big fish, okay? There's a lot more to Jonah, and there's a lot more relevance than just simply the fish. The reason Jonah got swallowed by the large fish and that he took off in the opposite direction that God told him to go, God had told him to go to Nineveh. And the Ninevites were cruel, wicked, terror-invoking, murdering, bloodletting thugs in the ancient world. And Jonah, like any other Jew, hated them. Go to Nineveh and proclaim repentance? No way. I don't want those people converted. I want them judged. And so after he gets swallowed by the fish and cast back out, Jonah decided it might be a good idea to go to Nineveh, which he did. And then he said, uh, went around the city. It's a big city in the ancient world. And he cried out, for 40 days, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And I'm sure it was just like, okay, 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. And, you know, kind of like not trying to persuade anybody. And surprisingly, it says the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. What about the wicked king of Nineveh? It said he arose from his throne, removed his royal robes, and covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. And the king decreed a fast. Nobody was allowed to eat or drink, including animals. And they asked God for forgiveness. It says, who knows? God may yet repent and turn from his fierce anger, and so we don't perish. And then it says in Jonah, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God repented of the evil which he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And Jonah complained, oh, this is why I took off, because I knew you're a merciful God. I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And that's exactly what the city of Nineveh experienced. And may that be the experience of the United States of America. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.